I'm getting all fired up. I'm all fired up and lonesome. Hello, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, and welcome to this special post-season extraordinary extracurricular episode of Fire Up. I'm Dennis Carnahan, still relieved that the grand final result meant that my team doesn't have the longest premiership drought. And beside me is the all-at-once blushing, weeping, giggling and fangirling tiger Chris Gale. And we're here to continue our relentless pursuit of the nexus between art, science, music, culture and rugby league. And to that end, we have two very special guests here today to tell their rugby league stories. Previously, Fire Up has had guests of authors, sports journalists, arts journalists, hairdressers, players, ex-players, bass players, coach whisperers and composers. And today we're adding club chairman and club CEO to that list. Chris Gale, can you contain your emotions and excitement enough to welcome Lee Hadjip and Tellus and Justin Pascoe to Fire Up? I barely can, Dennis. Welcome, Lee and Justin, to Fire Up. And hearing that introduction, you both strike me as artists of rugby league. Would that be fair to say? No, 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 not at all. I wouldn't have thought. There is not an artistic bone in my body, I can assure you of that. I'll straight up say nonsense. You are an integral part of the fabric of the theatre of rugby league. Maybe not visual art, but you are certainly part of the theatre. Oh, I agree with that, uh, but there's no art to it, I can assure you. That it's, uh, <laughs> it is strategic and it's logical and it's reasoned. Maybe a little uh, bit of science then. Uh, a lot of science, uh, uh, but no art. <laughs> so if I can set the scene, we are here at the Batuta Advocates Studios and I was lucky enough to be taken on a tour of the new Centre of Excellence, which I always point out to people is excellent by Justin a few weeks ago and there was a dinner afterwards and I had to leave to go coach basketball and Lee, you asked me, did I get a chance to meet Shaquille O'Neal when he was out recently in Australia? I said, well, I saw him 30 years ago rapping with the Fushnickens at Salinas, but I didn't see him this time. But I said, anyway, the Batuta Advocate says that we've signed him. And you said you weren't really aware of Batuta Advocate, was that right? Uh, Not at the time, no, it was my kids that educated me. I saw there was a post concerning the West Tigers and I featured in it. And the kids got very excited and they rang up and they said to me, you know, you're in Batuta Advocate. And I said, okay, and what's that? And they said, oh, some satirical post, some satirical site. And they said, and the quote was, uh, once you're there, you've made it. And I thought to myself, okay, made what? And so it went downhill from there. Well, it's the zeitgeist. And, and Justin, your wife then said to Lee, well, the Batuta Advocate, they're a thing. And I took my opportunity to say, well, you must come and join us on the podcast. And Lee said, I'll grab Justin as well. So, so you were, just to clarify, it was Lee. It was 100%. <laughs> well, that was, there, there were three bottles of wine involved, Justin. <laughs> so thank you guys for taking the time, particularly as shouldn't you both be on your annual holidays now or something like it as part of the, is there a CEO and chairman collective bargaining agreement that gets you time off or not really? Uh, I tried to take time off during the uh, course of this year yes. for a week with a pre-planned holiday and that didn't go over well so we don't have too much time off to be honest you did get time to celebrate though when we had a, a one-point victory if i remember correctly yeah up there yeah. absolutely well documented no it's um i took a week off over school holidays at the end of the season obviously it fits in nicely um but again your your phone's on and you're emailing and it's constant anyway so it's a Matter of record that I'm a card-carrying West Tigers fan and, in fact, involved in the Foundation 13. Dennis has a fairly well-declared interest in the Canberra Raiders. My um, loyalty to the Tigers was generated as a young boy because I lived in Hunters Hill and we would drive past Balmain Leagues Club, which we might ask about a little bit later how that's going. And the, the sign of the club was a tiger leaping over a football. And that absolutely captured my imagination. So... Balmain into West Tigers was my sort of rugby league story. It's how I came to rugby league. 
Lee, how did you come to rugby league and being so heavily involved as you now are? Uh, well, I've told the story many times, so it's now passed into folklore, or I hope it has. Uh, but I grew up on the Central Coast. Um, unlike Justin, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. Right, and yeah. I come from a, a traditional working class Greek background. My <laughs> at least, father at least a... you said my mouth. <laughs> 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 well, that would have been an exclusive yeah. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, moving on. Um, so I grew up in a, a Greek takeaway bar. Uh, at Edelong Beach on the Central Coast. And around the corner in uh, Murray Street was Steve Lavis. And Steve Lavis played for Balmain yes. in the late 70s and the early 80s. And Steve would come into the shop quite often. His younger brother, Scotty Lavis, was our plumber. I can remember that clearly. But Steve would come into the shop and on occasion he would bring in other players from the Balmain club as well. Now, as a young boy and you're meeting a first grade footballer whom you see on TV creates an enormous impression. Yeah. So for me, that was it. I became a diehard Balmain uh, Tigers fan as from that moment. What is Steve like? What would he order normally? Uh, usually a hamburger, bacon and egg, and then I would make the milkshake. Oh, wow. Because, I mean, I started working in that shop, of course, at the age of six months in a high chair. As soon as I could reach the counter, my father had me working there, serving it. So you were providing protein <laughs> you for no, a first-grade rugby league player from an early age. That's all it would have been. That's all it would have been. It would have been hamburgers <laughs> and a chocolate milkshake. That's what they would have lived on. And what about you, Justin? Um, obviously, you've been involved in a number of rugby league organisations and other organisations. Where did your interest in the game first develop? Well, my whole family's from um, Queensland. So dad was born just out of Mackay in a little place called Walkston. Um, my mum was born in Aspley in Brisbane and she had two brothers who played uh, rugby league. Um, one of them, Greg, played for um, brothers. So albeit I was born in Melbourne and born and bred in Melbourne, um, as a Queensland family, we've always had a, a passion and, and um, interest in rugby league. And when the Broncos came in, we sort of followed them from down in Melbourne. Then right. the Storm came in. But through my childhood, if you ever watched rugby league, it was always Belmain that was sort of up there in lights and that was where the interest came. And then I was fortunate enough to move over to America for six years where I was working in sport and private equity over there. And for some reason, got in contact with Gus on a trip back one day when I was bringing my two kids that were born in America back to Australia to see family. Just randomly. Well, not randomly. <laughs> there was someone who set up sort of a meeting and, and the opportunity was presented that we were living in literally Hollywood at the time to come back to Australia. And my wife wanted to not school the kids in America, wanted to school the kids back here. And my daughter was about to start school over there. So an opportunity came up to have a conversation with Gus, which I did. Um, and an opportunity was presented at Penrith. So sort of the story goes, that I came from Hollywood back to Penrith. That five-year wow. plan, that, that started in about 2011, is that right? The, was that around about that time? Oh, uh, yeah, because I joined in 2012. Yeah, right. So you were part of the five-year plan or did you form the five-year plan? Which no, took Gus, 10 years? Gus had already formulated the already five, I, I quickened the five-year plan to be seven years. Because you have, <laughs> like, Rugby League loves a redemption story. You've obviously got some, some dark history that you worked in Melbourne in the AFL, which on this podcast is, is pretty much, apart from the Penrith, which is a, the, the most evil organisation in rugby league. That's a personal view. The, <laughs> his view, the AFL is the most evil organisation in sport and you've worked there as well. Now, do you think that your work in 2005, 6, 7 led to the Bulldogs Premiership 10 years later? Was it, was it your 10-year plan? I think it can be attributed both that successfully and Penrith's current success. Yeah, right. It's all yours. Yeah. So that how, how long is the Tigers plan that you have? Because Ricky Stewart in camera, he's got the 25-year plan and he's, he's, he actually got a bit ahead in 2019 by getting to the grand final after only six years. But, you know, another 14, 15 years, we're going to be right on top. Where's yours? Uh, no, we don't, we don't set time frames every year. We're aiming to win multiple premierships, both in the NRL and NRLW. 
but we can talk a little bit more about that from a strategic perspective. Yeah, and um, and it's actually interesting. I remember seeing an interview with uh, Alan Jones by Matthew Johns, and uh, Alan Jones took credit for the 2005 premiership for his coaching of Balmain in the early 90s, which was an interesting uh, leap, I thought. But just while we've mentioned Penrith, who, if you haven't caught up with the fact, they did win back-to-back premierships this year, apparently. Um, one of the things that really struck me was in the announcement of the squads on grand final night, and they did their you know, junior club, you know, brothers from Penrith, St. Mary's, Windsor Wolves and the like. They're known as a development club. That was very much the theme that Gould and then others have taken them down. Is that where we're seeing the West Tigers go, given that, you know, we've got, you know, the access to the MacArthur region and the like? Yeah, look, I, I think you can say what you want about Penrith, but you, you, you've got to applaud their success. Yep. Um, and not just at the NRL level, but they, they, they took it all home this year. Um, mm. The Coey Cup, uh, the flag and ball, uh, Harold Matts they missed out on because that was, that was ours. West uh, Magpies got that. But um, their pathways program is as strong as, as, as I've ever seen. Um, they're losing players, of course, moving forwards. Uh, but I readily expect that they'll replace those players. Uh, so to their credit, um, their pathways program has obviously worked. They've spent a lot of money and a lot of time on it. Uh, they'll reap the benefits of that moving forwards. We were concerned on grand final day that the um, Newcastle Knights were revealed. They were actually the Penrith Panthers when they won the NRLW. You know, <laughs> they were just so, so <laughs> pervasive. Now, um, give us a little bit of insight about each of your roles, which, you know, obviously um, complementary but different. What is, what's involved in being chair? Uh, quite a bit, in fact. Um, I think through the deficiencies of the CEO, I have to do a lot more than most other chairs. I suspect that's right. I, I, can't, I haven't been a chair of any other. Yeah, well, each club club, has a different model, I'm that, sure. That's yeah. exactly right. Uh, no, no, seriously. Um, well, the corporate structure of the West Tigers is well known. It's on our, it's on our website. Um, it's a private entity, uh, not-for-profit organisation. Uh, it's owned by the West Magpies, 90%, and the balance of the 10% shareholdings owned by the Balmain Club. Uh, the West Magpies appoint five directors, uh, Balmain one, one uh, independent director, and Which then is there's you? no, there's a, another independent director. Then there's an independent chairman who right. is me. So there's eight. In there's time. currently eight. There's provision for nine, but we're sitting on eight at the moment, and it works, and it works very, very well. Um, and then, of course, uh, then there's the executive, which is headed by the CEO, and there's a clear demarcation in terms of the responsibilities. The board oversees the entire organisation. We, as directors, have a, uh, a fiduciary and a legal obligation uh, to the club itself to manage the club in accordance with uh, all the corporate governance structures that you would expect under the corporation's code. Justin's role as CEO is to manage and oversee and, and is responsible for all of the operational matters, which most importantly includes the football department. So apart from carrying Lee, what are your responsibilities as you see them, Justin? And I think it's, um, you know, as Lee alluded to, there's sort of circa 55 staff, um, you know, over a 100 players that are contracted. Um, all the operations of the organisation sits with me and my leadership team. Um, but I see my role personally is to give best opportunity for all our departments to mm-hmm. be resourced as much as possible to be the most competitive they can be. And if you look at in the last sort of five, six years where the business has come from in regards to being able to supply those resources, it's a world apart from where it was sort of five, six years ago. And if you talk about pathway and development, um, the amount of money that we pour into pathways and development now compared to five years ago gives us best opportunity to um, create success and sustainable success. You spoke about the centre of excellence. You know, that's a, a $78 million build for the redevelopment of Concord, of which our centre of excellence fits into that. Six years ago, we were operating out of Concord 
out of the uh, bowels of the old stadium with some pretty poor substandard facilities. So I see my role as not only to manage all the operations, um, to report obviously directly to the board, but also give best opportunity for all our departments to be resourced effectively. This Just, it's, you go, quick, quick, When did Fire Up start? Was it 2004? 2004, yeah. 2004. Did Lee just give us our first fiduciary? Yeah. <laughs> I don't believe we've had one of those on the show. <laughs> okay. That's, it, at least went a little bit to the lexicon of rugby league. I mean, we talked uh, a couple of day, a couple of weeks ago, Lee, about how you introduced the concept of nullity oh, absolutely. into rugby league with yep. the, uh, the North Queensland Cowboys that we might come to. But, um, Justin, I sort of I know exactly what you're referring to in terms of the bowels of the old stadium at Concord. I thought the Demountables was a step up. I quite like the Demountables, and there'd be a bit of a nostalgia about moving out of those, I'm sure. So the well, the Demountables actually, um, when people used to come to the Demountables, it said Centre of Excellence out That's the right. front. And people would laugh because it said Centre of Excellence and there's three Demountables as it looks from the road. Those Demountables were a 1,000% better than mm. where we operated. They 100%. had they had a full gym where all the squad could get in there. We had wrestle rooms. We had hot and cold spa uh, um, pools in there. Those demandables cost nearly $4 million to set up. So um, we think it's a really important part of the future too as we move forward. So we're going to continue to keep them for the next two years as a minimum and run all our pathway programs through there. I always get a shout out for my PWA wrestling company and our women's roster actually did a session with the Harvey Norman team last year, which they thoroughly enjoyed. And we should send a shout out to the Harvey Norman team who won the premiership in thrilling circumstances this year. It was, it was really, really good. This on-field, off-field issue is obviously, you know, th- these are the two pillars that you're carrying forward. What has been the agency by which the off-field resourcing has been sorted out? What is that down to? What are the, the key elements to that? Uh, well, I think it's just about done and dusted now. I think there's, yeah. a, there's a clear demarcation between off-field and on-field. You can't ignore, of course, the interaction between the two. There's been a lot of criticism of the club over the last year or two to suggest that because we are so successful off the paddock that we try and distance ourselves from what happens on the paddock. That couldn't be further from the truth. Mm. Um, As an NRL club, uh, we are charged with one responsibility and one responsibility only, and that's to create a successful NRL and now NRLW team. That's, that's, That's it. We don't do anything else. We don't produce any other service or any other product and whatnot. All we are charged with is the responsibility to produce a successful NRL and NRLW team. All of the pathways, all of the junior programs, all of the investment we make is for that one purpose and one purpose only. So we never create a demarcation or or distinguish ourselves from what happens on the field. I don't think you can. I think what happens off the field is incredibly important. It was Jack Gibson who says, of course, that winning starts in the the front office. And we recognise that. So we're working very, very hard off the field to ensure that what happens on the field reflects the success that we've enjoyed off the field. But there have been some challenges. There's no doubt about it. The, The results this year speak for themselves. There's no point in in you know, putting any spin on it or trying to trying to palm it off in any other way, but being a historically bad year for the club on the field. Um, you know, contrast that with what's happened off the field. So we're trying to bridge that gap and that's what we're working towards now moving forwards. I mean, Jack Gibson, they really should just immortalise some of his contributions to rugby league. I mean, famously, his tactical acumen was kicked to the seagulls because that's where the players are and things like that. I mean, he really was a a towering figure in the game. There was some speculation from Batuta that Brad Arthur was going to turn up in the Gibson jacket on grand final. And maybe Would have been a nice touch. Apparently Harvey <laughs> Howard, the, nice the former Western Suburbs <laughs> and English prop forward, has it you oh, know, okay. in some very arcane story. But, yeah, Harvey's got it. Yeah. Well, it should be in the NRL Museum. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's where it should yeah. be. <laughs> when they reopen that. Um, and, of course, you're also – the other dimension that you have in relation to the club, Lee, is uh, your chair of Brighton's? Is that how you describe uh, it? Or no. pre- principal – 
Principal, principal, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so uh, they are the principal sponsor of the Tigers? Correct, and have been now, I think, for six years or seven years or so. Yeah, and how do you um, manage those two roles? Without any difficulty. Um, when the opportunity came to chair the West Tigers, I was invited down by representatives of the board to speak with them. And when the first question that was asked was, as the principal sponsor of the West Tigers, do you see a conflict if you were to be invited to take on the, the chair's role? And my response was, no, no conflict at all. As the chairman of the West Tigers, all I would want is the best for the club. And as the major sponsor, all I want is the best for the club. So I don't see any conflict there. Occasionally, there will be issues that arise with respect to sponsorship dollars, for example, deliverables and the return for the for the uh, major sponsor, that is Brighton's lawyers. I remove myself, of course, exclude myself from all of those discussions. And that's dealt with by the balance of the board and with Justin. There's interesting legal dimensions that happens in rugby league, which um, you must be curious about at times. Uh, one of our listeners, Emma Donnelly, said, wonder how Lee might approach uh, the discussion that Des Hasler might have been taking action for the loss of his bonus because of the jersey controversy. Um, there was also an issue earlier in the season with the great Ricky Stewart from Dennis's club about you know, potential defamation action. And we ran enough audio about Ricky talking about himself. We thought that Ricky could sue himself for defamation. Would you take that case on? Uh, no, well, I think that that might be difficult because, I mean, who are you acting for? You're planning for the defendant or both, and I would be very confused by the instructions. But let me tell you, though, um, if you get in, if a lawyer gets into the NRL and secures work, uh, they could do very well. It's it's the gift that keeps on giving to lawyers. There's no uh, doubt about that. Well, I have a colleague of mine who might work for a club with red, white, and blue in their livery, and he, he is, will ever be remembered as designing the vanilla contract for Sonny Bill Williams. <laughs> Just on 2022... Justin, what's your take on the season, positives, learnings, those sorts of things? I think, as Lee said, clearly that um, no one removes themselves from the responsibility of what happened on the field. Um, it's not acceptable. Um, you know, positives off the field, there's plenty. Record membership again, um, the opening of the new facility. Um, I think the fact that we have been granted a NRLW licence is really exciting, not just for the club, but all our fans. And obviously for those players, because there's a lot of work that goes into that. So we'll be one of 10 next year. Um, and of course, uh, you know, I think one of the more positives, which comes from a negative, is the fact that we've actually made some significant changes within the football department that should, and we expect, will address where our shortcomings have been on the field, which is obviously the appointment of Tim Sheens back as, back as head coach. And obviously having Robbie and Benji come in and really set and... Um, also, Dave Ferner coming in, but also really set a tone and a direction for the next five years about where the football department is heading. We were at the West Tigers Grand Final lunch a couple of weeks back. Dennis was there as my guest. He's often as my guest. I'm still waiting for some sort <laughs> the reciprocal. of... reciprocal. And, of course, he was reveling in the fact that on the stage was Coach Sheens and Ferner. Like, it felt like a sort of a Canberra reunion. 94, spe yeah. specifically a 94 reunion. Yeah, but I, I did mean... message Paul Osborne and with a photo of them. <laughs> was, uh, what good, did you, what good uh, did you notice the dynamic between the men, though? The, yes. the the reverence and the awe that they still hold him in, and this is Don. This is yeah. so Don Fernandez, of course. The, the Ferner family would be well known to Tim. Yeah. But Dave played under Tim mm. and coached with him with the Australian team. But they sit there, all of them: Benji, Robbie, Ferner, etc. And they all sit in awe of the man. Yeah. I had the opportunity to sit with Tim. He used to do a function call. It was like a captain's dinner. It was a fundraiser for breast cancer, and it was set up on 
uh, at the Olympic Stadium out on the field. And so all the captains were there. So Brett Hodgson was the captain at the time. And Tim, and I had an opportunity to talk. And as everyone will tell you, he's very, very generous with his time. <laughs> and he's very keen to talk football. To a fault. Yeah. And we, had a co- we actually had a conversation about the book Moneyball that hadn't come out as a, a movie at that stage and how that story of you know mathematics being brought to bear. And, and it was really interesting because... Tim has a philosophy about offense, which I think is, you know, the the underpinning of his success. Absolutely. Very simple, very simple philosophy. One thing that was, um, I thought, really encouraging out of that lunch was Joe Offerhand-Gowie was there in his capacity as the Kelly Barnes medal winner. And he spoke with, I thought, enormous affection of what the club did for him on the occasion of his 150th, which has said something those milestones previously in his career hadn't been acknowledged. Um, what is your sense of the playing group and their enthusiasm for the year ahead? Oh, I think they're very excited, incredibly excited, not only by Tim, um, whom that many of them don't know, of course, but by Benji and Robbie, whom they do know, and they know very, very well. And particularly in that Pacifica Island space, um, Robbie, sorry, Benji is incredibly well regarded, highly respected. Uh, he has a very different philosophy to many other administrators. If you refer to coaches as the ad- administrators, just observing his seamless transition from player to coach has been um, enlightening for me. Uh, you said he addresses the board and when he speaks, he speaks as a coach in the making. You can see it. He's uh, already had a number of very uh, uh, upfront and um, somewhat difficult conversation with certain players about where he sees them moving forwards. Joe Gowie, I think, said it publicly. He said that uh, Benji came to him and said, I don't see you as a ball playing 13. And Joe says, initially, I was really offended by that, but I stopped and thought about it. I thought, well, no, he's right. So he's, he's got that sort of uh, gravitas with the players. So that's really exciting. Benji, sorry, Robbie is just the competitor, the ultimate competitor who just hates losing. So he will instill that drive and that passion into the playing group as well. And then overseeing all that, of course, you've got uh, the old man Sheens, who's just, who's just like father time, he's just eternal, he's logical, he's just, uh, he's just so clear and so um, uh, enamored with the playing group that uh, I, I think it's a different dynamic this year. You could just feel it already. I think also, Chris, you look at um, what these four gentlemen will now represent. Um, you need a playing group to to play with a level of not playing with fear. Yep. And I think historically you can see that some of our boys have been playing with fear, fear of failure. Um, I know that, you know, back to Tim's simple philosophy around how important it is to score points – that if you're looking at what these gentlemen will bring, it's a knowledge of what players need in terms of an environment to thrive, be stimulated, motivated to perform at their best. And that's a clear difference that I think you'll see as we move forward. I've already seen too, by the way, um, over the off-season where we don't and we're not allowed to enforce them to come in, um, we've had more people coming into the centre, more players coming into the centre of excellence over the last sort of four weeks than we ever have in the last sort of five, six years doing extra work which is only encouraging. That's terrific to hear. That's not because they can get a, a haircut. Is it Alex Twell who's doing the haircuts? I think you Well, saying? it's not him doing it, thank God. <laughs> Have you seen his head? <laughs> it's um, it's one of his friends, I think. It had to be a Lebanese bar. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be a Lebanese bar. And then you bar. suggested for the women's squad they can uh, be funded off-site. Is, is, is yes, right? yes, yes, yes. I, I was a little disappointed it was just one chair. I think there's a bit of a growth opportunity. Yeah, maybe there is. There, but, you uh, think there should be at least four so you can have the barbershop quartet. Singing as they as they cut <laughs> in, right. in full part harmony. Can I tell you a quick story about Moneyball? Yeah, sure. Because I'm fascinated by Moneyball. Yep. When I was living in America, um, one of our good friends was a screenwriter, 
uh, and not many people in Hollywood are really that passionate or knowledgeable about sport. A lot of people like to jump on the the uh, Lakers and you know now the Rams like and any LA success, Rams. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they're not when really, they're successful. When, when they're, they're successful, yeah, yeah. absolutely, they're courtside and everything else, yeah. and it's part of the propaganda around their own brand. But I was lucky enough that he knew I was fanatical about all sport, and he invited me to a screening of Moneyball. So I went to uh, wherever it was at Paramount, or I can't remember who produced it, but there was only a hundred people in the in the audience. So I'm watching Moneyball, and guy comes out and does the introduction. Thank you for coming. You know, yada yada. And we sit down and we watch Moneyball, and I'm captivated by the movie because you know I love the statistics and the fact around. You know, we talk about science and one and one does make two. That yep. you know that application into sport and how it worked was great. And then at the end of the movie, he comes out and says, thanks, you know, we appreciate you coming. If you want to stay around for another 15, 20 minutes, we'd love you to. And we've got some guests. And out come Jonah Hill and Brad Pitt. And they sat there and spoke to us for an hour and a half about Amazing. the whole movie, about what sort of research they did into the movie. It was outstanding. This sort of one of the through lines in Moneyball is that uh, scouts in baseball tended to look at hand speed and foot speed and the athleticism. And they were completely concerned with hitting percentages and ignoring on base which is when you get walked and so there were older slower out of shape baseball players who were good at getting hit and that's one of the great appeals about baseball as a sport you don't actually have to be a physical specimen yeah. to play it. <laughs> and you see i think the evolution of how we manage the list has changed to be not so much completely reliant upon stats and, yep. and numbers but we certainly challenge more that eyeball notion of a player's good or a player's not good which you get sort of with the emotional judgment of coaches and the likes that you know as administrators you, you have the CFO and myself and a few others in the list management committee that based on statistics and based on numbers and logic challenge the status quo of whether we should get a player or whether we shouldn't get a player because often what happens in a footy club is you get the player that's available yeah because that player's available, everyone's, we've got to go and get him. Yep. Where that often isn't in the best interest of the long-term sustainability of the list. Right, so you've got to actually project where it goes and yeah, not so just we've, an immediate we've, thing. We've got lists out now three, four years. And every time we look at a player, we sit there and get all the stats around that player, what valuation we put on that player versus other clubs and where they sit and everything else. So it actually becomes quite scientific as well. And then, and then sometimes you get this tension, of course, between those stats and, as Justin says, what the coaches actually see themselves. And one of the interesting phenomena this year was – that the NRL produces all this benchmarking for fitness levels for the players, how fast they need to run, how far they need to run, how much they need to lift, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the club as, as a whole did very well this year in meeting all of those benchmarks, uh, invariably right across uh, the entire grade. But uh, you speak to Tim and he wasn't happy, generally speaking, with the fitness level of the team. And he says, I don't need benchmarking to tell me that they need to be fitter. Right. So it's an interesting dichotomy between yeah, what right. you're told in black and white in stats and what a coach can actually see. And then you've got the layer of character of people Absolutely. in your assessment mm. as well. Absolutely. Is there a stat for that? <laughs> Do you have a little side stat for character? Not, because not. you know the Storm, they have the... Um, Coffee the, test? The intentionometer yep. in the back of their head. And so Bellamy's up there watching their intention, watching, and he sees what they're thinking and he actually controls it. Do you have any of this sort of technology? Not the technology, but there certainly is. Yeah. Character is a massive part. And yep. you're talking about you know good people only at the club. We, we are pretty convinced that when you go to Melbourne, part of the orientation is you do get the chip implanted. This yeah, is the way yeah. it is. Um, before we go to the break, you mentioned, of course, obviously the, the future coaching team and Benji Marshall, a huge part of that. Did you guys watch The Celebrity Apprentice? <laughs> no. Right. I did. You know, the last two episodes were it's down to the pointy end. 
And I found it, you know, I'm looking for an excuse to watch reality TV, let's be honest. I'm still looking for a reason for the real love boat. I haven't quite <laughs> got there yet. But I, I thought it was really, really interesting because one of the things that you see in those episodes, and Benji ended up doing a fundraiser at Leichhardt, he's got a, a, a network of people who clearly, genuinely like him and are attracted to be in his company. And that becomes, I imagine, part of the pitch going forward, particularly for the younger players who will when they meet him or learn they actually played football as well as being on the celebrity apprentice. But I thought it was a really, really good insight. And of course he's um, a man of strong emotion. Like he, he feels things keenly. And I think uh, for Tigers fans, when the announcement was made, and of course, you know, I'm dealing with people going, well, what if it doesn't work? And I go, what if anything doesn't work? That's not a reason not to do things. What if it does? Yeah, hundred percent. And his immediate um, uh, stepping down from his media commitments, even though, the formal job of an assistant coach was a little bit down the track. Was um, very heartening to see. I think. I think the sorry. I think the three things that you'll know about Benji. One, he's a generational player. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know when I went to his testimonial that someone asked me what do you think of Benji, and I said, "Well, my son, who's ten, loves Benji Marshall, and my dad, who's eighty-one, loves Benji Marshall." Yep. And there's very few people that can have that um, label with them. Uh, number two is that. Um, we believe he will be an excellent first-grade coach and a long-term coach, but most importantly, as I said before, he knows what it takes to create an environment where players can thrive because he's been around with Wayne Bennett and obviously Tim, two of the best coaches. And number three is he's got more gravitar and passion um, and people are attracted to Benji Marshall and I've already seen it with the playing group that when they enter the room and Benji's there, the uh, aura that they hold him in, but just that level of communication, how he communicates, like they're just in awe of, of the bloke. So he will only be great for the club. And I think the fourth thing is that he's publicly said he absolutely loves the club. Yeah, yeah, which is which is just terrific position. We don't want to dwell on 2005, but I was Pat Richards' player sponsor in 2005. Oh, and I do have it on record on this show. He said that when he scored the try, he was thinking that it was my sponsorship that was oh, what, go, what generated the palm off of Rod Jensen. He so, still talks about it today. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> now, uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, Lee, you mentioned that we've drawn a line in the sand as the West Tigers, and we might explore a little bit about what that involves. So happy, we'll be back in a moment. Do so. Go with Dennis Carnahan, Lee Hadjapatelis, the chairman of the West Tigers, and Justin Pascoe, the CEO, very generously giving of their time. Now, Lee, I made reference to the fact that you've made reference to uh, a line in the sand being drawn. I think that was a narrative that you introduced certainly at the lunch that we talked about previously. We've 
talked about a couple of the key elements in terms of the changes in the football department that Justin talked about. And we've got the Centre of Excellence. What is the way in which the line in the sand has been drawn and what does it mean? Uh, well, Chris, I think we're all very concerned about the results this year. Uh, we, For the first time in the history of the club, we took home the wooden spoon, something of which we are not proud at all and would never like to repeat. I have said publicly uh, that I think the results this year bespeak the last four years. Uh, there's been a, a spiral downwards in results. Uh, we finished ninth, 11th, 13th, and this year's 16th. And I, I genuinely believe that the 16th was almost inevitable. Um, there have been issues or concerns within the club for a little while uh, that had to be addressed. And they were addressed with the change in the coaching structure earlier this year. There was a difficulty so far as our engagement in the football department over the last two years, of course, because of COVID. I was appointed chair in November of 19 and then COVID hits in early 20. So 20 and 21, there was a very limited engagement between the um, the chair, the board, the executive and the football department. There was a bit of distance created, so we really couldn't engage ourselves in any meaningful way. We could do that in 2022, and as a result of that, we became aware of certain issues that had to be addressed. Um, they were addressed a little bit earlier than what we had anticipated, but, they, but it, it's done now. Um, and so what we decided then was we had to adopt a completely new, innovative and bold approach. Now, after moving on with, with Michael uh, in June, there were a lot of uh, coaches that were presented to us and the, the, the names of which you would be very familiar with. Yep. But it just felt like we were just on some sort of a, a circus roundabout. You know, we, we just needed to get off that. And I remember speaking to Justin at the time thinking, well, hang on, if, if we can successfully create a pathways program for our players, why can't we do it with our coaches? We've got some of the most qualified players in the history of the game who have already expressed to us an intention of coaching at some time in the future. Why aren't we sitting down and speaking to these people? And of course, the names Robbie and Benji uh, came to uh, the forefront of our minds almost immediately. Uh, we spoke to them. We spoke to Tim, of course, and it was amazing how quickly they all bought in. And uh, it was funny though, because I was overseas in July when a lot of these negotiations were being undertaken. I was speaking to Justin and, and Tim and Benji, you know, multiple times a day. And in fact, the deal was finally concluded with all gentlemen when I was in a monastery in the mountains of Cyprus in July. So it's, it's a blessed event. Uh, their appointment is, is, is endorsed by the Greek Orthodox Church. Were you discussing it in the... In the chapel there? Where you, you, have, you... you have no idea. I was walking into the monastery and my kids were turning around saying to me, do you know where you are? And I'm going, yes. And I, was on, I think I was on the phone to Benji and we had just concluded. And I remember the last conversation with him and I think the last question I asked him, how long, what's your preference so far as Tim, for example, being there? And he says, I want him there for two years. I need him there for two years. And it was, as I say, it was amazing how it all came together. And it was just it was just such an innovative and bold decision on behalf of the board, the executive, something of which I'm incredibly proud to be a, a part of, because I just think it was so exciting that these boys have come on board, have come home, so to speak. Yeah. We've spoken often at, at board level about who we are, what our culture is meant to represent, what our identity is. Well, you can't inject any more West Tigers DNA into the club than having those gentlemen uh, back. What was the what was the monastery? Um, uh, it is. Gikots K Y double K O S in in Cyprus. And were there any signs once once you'd had that phone call, like 
shaft of light, beam of... Uh, was there any sort of physical sign? That yeah, of course. Is? Yeah, my, my kid's screaming at me. <laughs> put, put the damn phone down. You're in a monastery. You didn't look up and see a stained glass window with an image of a tiger by any chance. No, I mean, no, no, they're they're mad when the tigers no, in Cyprus, no, no, aren't they? They're no, absolutely mad. I'm sure there was plenty of that. But um, no, 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 it was the kids. Put the damn phone down. I think so I'm it here. was done. It was done. The deal it was, was done. It was yeah. done as we as I was in the monastery in the, in the mountains. Yeah, when it was done, the final conversation. That's gonna that's got to be rugby league folklore. Like mm. this, the, 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 the Trent Robinson, the it was Kilimanjaro speech. Tomorrow is game day. Tomorrow so is game day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Top Gun Maverick. Wherever you draw inspiration, <laughs> you know. You need a new shrine within that shrine, a West Tiger shrine within it. And I'm hearing a subtext that Zoom has a lot to answer for, Lee. Uh, no, uh, there were a couple of Zoom calls, I think. There was a, a couple of Zoom calls, yeah, a few yeah. Zoom calls and whatever, but mainly it was just the phone calls. Of course, there was an eight or nine hour differential of, uh, with Cyprus at the time, which made things a little bit more difficult. Reception in the mountains of Cyprus, although it probably compares favorably with Telstra at the moment here, but it was difficult and problematic as well. And then trying to line up all the meetings. And there were so many moving parts, of course. There's a, a board, an executive there are the gentlemen involved, there are managers involved and whatnot. But but as I say, the job was relatively easy because everyone had bought in to what we were trying to create in the vision. And it was innovative. And in, you know, going through names, if you just announced one of those coaches on those names, people wouldn't have gone, well, that's terrible or whatever, but it was a little bit more of the same. So I get that. I think what you're always challenged with too, when you, when you look at an outside coach, when you're in a position as we were, sort of three and a half, four years ago where we were in a far better financial position to go out and really attract and be able to afford a top-line coach. We went and obviously got Madge. Um, and there's clear, clearly Madge has a really strong resume around coaching two premierships, both here and internationally. When we went and revisited what we were looking for and we desperately wanted to identify one a development coach back to your original question about what we want to be we're a yep. development club yep what came to mind was obviously well documented in regards to Cameron Seraldo when that didn't go as planned or as we wanted at the time we then went back and had that conversation as Lee said internally at board and exec level and thought we can go back and get another external coach and all the names that you know we alluded to before were put forward to us but what you tend to do as a football club when you go out and you haven't had success on the field, you commit everything to that new person coming in. So you commit um, almost the tone, the language, the culture, the style of play, the style of players, um, who you recruit, how you recruit sort of goes into supporting that coach, which this club has done and done very well over the you know tenure that I've been there and the history, they always back the coach. What we wanted to do was actually, we're really actually creating something here at West Tigers, so we didn't want to lose what we're creating. So let's actually find people that not only can deliver on that development piece, but let's find people that actually suit what we're trying to create at the West Tigers, understand what our DNA is, understand what our identity. Once we actually had that, it actually became easy to identify who we wanted. You talk about tone. Um, I mentioned that I got to do the tour of Centre of Excellence. You weren't invited. No, I got to see the the old one. I got to the bowels. Yeah, yeah. The we, we, we had breakfast in the old <laughs> one, didn't we? Madge. The Centre yeah. of Sub-Excellence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, talk a little bit about that because it's it's actually coexists with some community um, features as well, which aren't completed at the moment. But tone s strikes a chord with me because the attention to detail, logo on every hand weight of the Tigers, things like that. So describe a little bit about what the vision is because everybody says, well, just because you build something, it's not that, it's the people within it. But it's obviously a key part of what we are as a tone and a language going forward. Describe that to us. I oh, know. I think back to that 
um, quite just then that it is absolutely the people, the standards, the values and how we perform um, on a daily basis that represent the results. But having a centre of excellence as we do built within that redevelopment of Concord and it is a byproduct of a bigger picture. It is all about activating the community and delivering community programs. Mm -hmm. Obviously, council have an enormous part to play with that with 10,000 square metres that isn't finished yet but soon will be, which is around the indoor netball courts and basketball courts and community gym and the rest of it there that, um, you know, I, I have been fortunate enough to take people on a US trip every year bar COVID for, and there's sort of eight people that come. I can literally tell you in every part of that facility that we have where we've picked up best practice that exists in certain facilities, whether it overseas with NFL or MLB or NBA or even picked up some hints from the Raiders site, um, Raiders facility. So in Braddon, no, no, <laughs> every in Vegas. Oh, the, oh, the other one. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> every every aspect of that facility is well thought out. It's had the input of all the high performance team. It's had the input of coaches previously. It's had the input of the board, the exec. Um, I was always adamant that when it was completed or when we opened it, it had to be completed. We couldn't have bare walls. I've been to other facilities that have been open and they're still six months later sitting there saying, oh, we're going to put that up there, we're going to put that up there, and it just doesn't look like a home. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to, one, make it look like a home and feel like a home immediately so when people walk in, we wanted it to be set up in a way that is functional for players to obviously operate at an elite level, and this gives best opportunity because, albeit we've been in the temporary facility for some time now, two and a bit years, um, and not an excuse, but just simply a reason, it was disruptive in regards to, for recovery, we had to go off-site to find a pool um, which was usually at Leichhardt. You had to walk 15, 20 minutes to field for practice, which gives you 20 minutes there, 20 minutes back. Um, the gym, albeit much bigger than the bowels, wasn't to the size it is now, so they were doing two groups through. So the day just goes longer, and that whole being efficient about how you perform on a day-to-day -day basis was being compromised, albeit we knew what the end result would be. In regards to the branding piece, Absolutely critical. I wanted to make sure and the board wanted to make sure that every time someone walks through the place, they know where they are, whether they're lifting weights, the dumbbells, the plates, the benches, on the floor, on the ceiling, at the end of the pool there, um, in the board level, all the seats have our consultant said at the time, oh, I think if you put branding in the boardroom seats, it looks a bit tacky. I said, it's not, a, it's, it's not an option not to have branding everywhere. Everyone that sits there, everyone that works there must know why we're there and we're there for the West Tigers solely. They're comfortable seats, and it's the, the, the logo is sort of like embossed in a way. It's yeah, like it's, it's done in a classic it's, it's way. It's tasteful without yeah, it's being tasteful, gaudy. Exactly. Yeah. The logo on the pool you mentioned um, is you said it was water cup. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, Roy and HG think it's on the floor of the pool, so you know we just need to get them to understand when when we're doing that part of the tour. Tukey Simpsons came out of the sauna, and he is a large human being. That boy, he's he, a large boy. <laughs> but it was actually again that's from Alabama University. So yep. I saw that as I walked in. I always said that if we. If we, when we have the pool, we're going to have our logo branded at the end of the pool. So when everyone, and you can walk down that corridor there and it's having a water cut means it's in every single tile. It's not just a sticker on there. Unbelievable. And one of the temporary basketball rings was damaged. There was some suggestion that you were responsible for that. It was a dunking incident or something like that. I wish it was a dunking incident, <laughs> but it was me. I set it up there to uh, make sure that when the board came through, they saw it in its complete because we've got this big outdoor area, which is set up for recreational purposes. So there's a uh, two basketball rings um i got my ea to go out and buy a bat which i thought cricket bat and ball and stumps which i thought would be great for the players and staff just to go out and 
you know, on downtime, mm-hmm. you know, play together and whatever else. So unaware, she went out and bought a four hundred and seventy-six dollar brand new Grain Nichols big fat bat. So is um, is Steedon not our apparel partner? So, so we've we've just changed that. I'll Steedon take it off your hands for two hundred bucks. No problem. Steedon obviously owns Grain Nickel or Grain Nichols owns Steedon. So we obviously just changed that and just got one of those plastic beach bats, mm. which is far more appropriate. So, so these are, these are balls that are being hit on the Parramatta Road. Is that right? Or uh, I don't think with the new bat we'll be able to get that far. Just um, just on, on what uh, Justin touched on, Chris, with respect to the premises, the organisation, the people, etc. The unifying theme, of course, is culture. Mm-hmm. And when we spoke earlier about line in the sand, uh, the line in the sand is that the club has now taken back its culture. It creates its culture. It's responsible for its culture. Um, I think errors are made or can be made within organisations of delegating the responsibility for that to an individual or individuals, whereas the club is bigger than an individual. So the culture actually has got to come from the top and it stems right through the entire organisation. So you loop it back to what are our values? Does it, Who are does it we? Coincide? What do we stand for? Who do we represent? With the line in the sand, when did you? When did you? Did you come up with that before Adam G said it to Jared Rhea Hargraves? He said, "I'm drawing a line in the sand," which Jared Rhea Hargraves immediately stood, stood over, so he had to be sent off. Were you saying line in the sand before that? Was it around twenty? It was about I think, the I think last it, round. You might have coined the term around the same time, I think. No, no, no. It was in the monastery, in fact. Yeah, that's oh, it was right. In the there monastery. you go. Right. Yeah. In fact, it was one of the monks who came forward and said to me, we don't have a mobile phone <laughs> in the abbey. It's a line in the sand. And I said, oops, I've crossed that one. And Adam G has copied that line. I Absolutely. taken it off you. I should, imagine, have, I should have copyrighted it. I can just imagine a beautiful leather-bound documentation of all this. It'll be like a sort of a, 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 an artifact. A, a It'll be in the shrine. Text. If we talk about facilities more broadly, um, Roy and HG, of course, wonderful campaign about the preservation of the historic Leichhardt um, men's toilets, which I think is, you know, is a, an issue of national significance that we don't lose them no matter what happens. But there's a lot of talk about Leichhardt. There was a bit of drama there, albeit with Rugby Union. So, you know, it, was, it wasn't that bad. So um, was, was, there's actually a lot of allegation that it was you. <laughs> Uh, Justin, that was there with the spanner. Oh, before you, just you actually wouldn't it, believe it. And, and, that, that and, gate, and, yeah. And let's let's firstly say and acknowledge that no one was hurt. That's right. Thanks. That's right. Seriously, thank God, because yeah. it was actually potentially disastrous. But the amount of text messages <laughs> I got at the back of that suggesting the same thing was unfounded. And so, in it terms was of the burn, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> he did it himself. The, the Tigers, are more broadly, we've got a couple of issues. I mean, I think what we now know is that in the past we had to play at certain venues for financial reasons. We don't have to do that. Um, there's issues around Leichhardt. There's also issues next season immediately about the Women's World Cup. How do you deal with stadia policy? Well, it's been a moving feast, of course. I mean, it comes back to a lot of it with uh, respect to funding, uh, the difficulties with this current government. Uh, Peter Vlanders was right. There was a promise made that there would be funding available for a number of suburban grounds, including Leichhardt. They they pulled that. Um, however, I am reading reports now that uh, even Penrith Stadium might be at risk. They may not be proceeding with the $62 billion rebuild out there. Uh, so they might be just doing a refurbishment that, that would leave three or $400 million available to refurbish some of these other grounds. So Leichhardt may benefit. Uh, if I was a betting man, I would bet that the announcement will be made by the government and or the opposition about four weeks prior to the next election, right. so sometime in early March of 2023. But the board has made a forensic decision to return to our spiritual homes of Leichhardt and Campbelltown moving forwards. That's been interrupted in 23, of course, by the Women's World Cup. But beyond that, that's what the grand plan is. Uh, however, the long-term vision is to establish a permanency somewhere, mm-hmm. a la a Combank Stadium at uh, at Parramatta. 
there is no doubting the forensic and tactical advantage to a club in having that home ground. Uh, look at the resurgence in Parramatta over the last few years. It can't. It's no coincidence that it's been since they've got that stadium. It's a fortress. That stadium would be worth eight to ten points to them a year. There's no doubt about that. Uh, we're deserving of that, as is every NRL club. They're all deserving of that home ground advantage. Um, you know, we haven't made a definitive decision as to where that's likely to be. I've expressed publicly that I think the southwest of Sydney uh, beckons us as a club. But we'll never we'll never lose touch with our historical roots in uh, the inner west. I'm very aligned with that. I mean, if they build it, I'll sell up and I'll move out there. I guarantee it. Um, there's a couple. There's a couple of other things just before we close. One, of course, is us. I mean, the media. How do you guys deal with the media? What What are your approaches? You have there are. I mentioned, of course, the Cowboys issues, a crisis moment there. There's the coaching review that went on. How do you view the media? Um, because one would argue always, they say, well, you know, it's the media companies who put so much money in the game. What's your relationship like with the media? Well, uh, interesting. Um, better with some than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Traditionally, reporter's role was to simply report. You wouldn't actually know who the reporter was. They would just simply relay the facts as discovered. Uh, and then the story would speak for itself. But of course, we're now in an age where reporters have become quasi-celebrities. Uh, everyone knows who they are. And then we've moved on from just reporting now to giving opinions. Now, I'm more than happy. There's a number of reporters there who, who proffer uh, opinions. Um, I, I, I take note of them, but they have no, they, no weight or any role to play in you know, myself as chair or the executive of the organisation. Uh, they can express an opinion, but it doesn't carry any more weight than anyone else's opinion. Uh, the media can be a resource, a tool that can be utilised if required. Uh, the relationship with the media needs to be very good. I think that it's important to have a good relationship with the media. But there are some in whom I repose a lot of respect and faith, and there are some that I don't. So uh, it's a, it's a, it can be a difficult proposition sometimes. That's the main media, of course. Then you've got social media, which is a completely separate phenomenon. Which which is where the voice of the fans is certainly expressed, and it can be heard and loud. But but it is always the nuts that you hear. You don't right. hear a lot of sensibility and calmness and actual fans. You just hear the nut jobs and rat bags. It's probably why I enjoy social media so much. <laughs> and, but of course, in this market, in this Sydney market, the Tigers is news. I mean, and in a way that the fact that you get so much coverage of itself is a positive because it reflects an interest and a passion, right? So there's a couple of things. So when I first took on the job, people used to say the geographical spread of your territory is problematic. I said, how's it problematic? It's just an opportunity. Like Mm. it's a huge opportunity, not dissimilar to our brand. Our brand is enormous. Like Mm. I think reportedly over 400,000 fans identifies West Tigers fans. It's up in number one or two in the NRL. Um, That lends itself to a massive opportunity if we can get the on-field right. Now people's passion are exactly that. It's their passion, which is where the comments go from. To Lee's point, you need to deal with the media. Um, there's a lot of journalists out there and media types that are really respectful to the truth. And when you challenge them on something that they're going to say or about to say, and they listen to you and they change their opinion, I always say to people that if you don't see someone represented in an article or quoted, it's just an opinion piece. It's normally not fact. Um, in regards to social media, certainly from us outwardly, it's a really important platform or platforms for us to promote our narrative. Um, in regards to looking at social media, I know my chair looks at a lot more than me. I never look at it. <laughs> but what I do get, not dissimilar to the loosening of the screws, 
I do get a lot of people that send me stuff all the time about me, thinking <laughs> I think it's hilarious. A lot of my mates pick up stuff and send it to me, but I never look at it. Um, the hair gets a review a bit, doesn't oh, it? Oh, it gets a massive review. Yeah, it's yeah, extraordinary. Yeah. It has yeah, its own yeah. website. I'm just trying to see yeah. how it's looking in the camera. We, we actually dedicated an episode last <laughs> yeah. year to it, but we didn't disclose that before you came on. In fact, I saw someone sent me something the other day where Fletch and Heine were interviewing, I think, maybe it was Appy. And they said something like, are you going to the West Tigers because of the CEO's hair? <laughs> Nothing to do with it. Fair <laughs> comment. Just on that, I mean, obviously, they even this weekend, there was a, an article about Brent Naden was celebrating with some Penrith mates, which is a club he played at. Uh, there was the Dane Laurie issue last year, the Appy Coruscant at the end of a big night after a grand final win. Um, does that horribly concern you guys as a club that, you know, I guess when you're not doing well, you can be a little bit of the butt of the joke? Oh, look, not not so much. As Justin said, I'm, I'm probably more an engager of social media than what he is. Uh, sometimes it does cross the line and I've got to bite my lip or, or make a, a clenched fist so I don't actually respond on social media because some of it uh, is personal. Mm. Uh, there have been comments made about family as well, which is I think is just off limits, yeah, Ab- absolutely. absolutely off absolutely. limits. Um, there's been threats of violence, for example, so we've just got to you know put that aside. Um, but uh, you know, people are entitled to their opinions and that's to be encouraged. But when it crosses that line and becomes personal, uh, as I say, I've got to really restrain myself from not responding or taking further action because I don't think that's necessary. Is but a good lawyer? Uh, yeah, but, yeah <laughs> but I don't want to appear overly sensitive to it either. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not. But um, but I, I just feel that these people would never say to your face, of course, what they they're, they're champions on the social media platform. But then again, it's only half a dozen or so. It's usual people uh, who who just carry you know a loud voice on a very small platform. But uh, it's, it's it's nothing. I'm going to lose any sleep over. I will say, Chris, from the very beginning, that when there has been anyone brought to my attention that is um, very loud or strongly passionate on social media, and not in a way that um, isn't inappropriate, I actually try to get in contact with them and bring them in because I think if they're going to be that passionate or spend that amount of energy to write an email to the club yep. complaining about what is happening at the club, to actually bring them in and educate them about what is actually happening face-to-face and give them some insight and opportunity to ask questions, if they can then take that knowledge with them of the actuality of what's happening and then recreate that passion outwards, it can only be positive. So I've had some interesting conversations. There's a great little board at the Asquith Magpies Junior Rugby League Club that says, before you complain, have you volunteered yet? Mm. Yeah. And that's Yeah, exactly the same the principle. principle. And, and to Lee's point, a lot come in and completely change their tone when they're face-to-face. Um, you know, not all walk out believing what I'm saying well, or understanding. And sometimes it goes into the motivation about why they behave in a certain way apart from the anonymity thing is there can often be something different and it becomes a target. We, we see it in the wrestling company as well, the the online people who disagree. And we got one at our show in Melbourne on Saturday. Get him in the ring! He came. No, he didn't. Well, we did announce a cage match and Justin and I have a standing arrangement. He's I know, I know. I'm meant to be in the cage. In a cage <laughs> match, that's right. Uh, the next one, October 21, well, as, University as of a, New South Wales Roundhouse. As house. a participant or the bait? No, 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 no as a participant. Oh, okay. <laughs> it, 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 can, it can be good easily... Luck. Good luck with that. ...easily arranged. But, uh, you know, he, the guy was a hater, but he actually came in to see the show on Saturday and he said, look, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, there is such a long conversation we have there, but we're nearing the end. You gentlemen have been so generous with your time. I do want to know, do either of you settle down late at night in a cognac and rewatch Tales from Tiger Town? 
Uh, I regret watching it the first time. So the answer is no. I, I do participate in the cognac quite often. I do like that uh, drop. But um, no, I regret watching it the first time. It, it did not um, eventuate into what we thought or what I thought or what I expected. I understood or was hoping that it was to be a behind-the-scenes look at the operations of an NRL club as opposed to a biopic, which is what, what it translated into. Justin? Oh, no, the notion behind it I still support in regards to opening up our doors and giving an insight to fans that don't have that ability to see inside the club. Um, that was the notion behind it. That was the belief behind it. Uh, it didn't eventuate in the path that we thought it would. And, of course, in the context of a season that wasn't going that well also. But but you I'm, can't forecast that either. When, when, you when you be brave and make the decision, you're making that decision 12 months out from Absolutely. a result. It was on that basis that the board actually approved it, uh, the, the, what Justin presented, and that's why it was approved by the board. And as Justin says, it, it didn't actually eventuate. Just the uh, way For me, just that vision, the, the inside the coach's box in that I'm, I probably should turn the headphones off, that the loss to Souths, the golden point loss where – Ruled a try yep. to your team and it got overturned. Mm. That's the most topsy-turvy emotion. I think, I know this year there was a controversial game with a one-second kickoff, but that game, the fact that you've won the game mm. on a video ref and then you've lost it, that, the most horrible emotions. Oh, we've but, had a shocking run of but, decisions. But I have to say, as a fan of the club and interested in the game more generally as Dennis and I both are, what I did think it showed was an insight as to how hard people work Mm. And like at the end of the day, if, if you measure things in premierships, which clubs ultimately will and should, but most clubs don't win them most of the time, it is a really, really difficult job that you guys have. And I think it showed the, the right aspects around passion and application. And you know, I guess, at the end of the day, the season created the edit process or the editorial process. And that's well, just I think it was. Uh, it was only recently Justin was telling me that a, um, uh, an ex-footballer who's now involved in the administration of a club uh, said to him, Justin, if you think playing first grade football is difficult and challenging, try becoming an administrator. Yeah. Try getting into actually the administration because he's now morphed into a senior administrator within a, the NRL club that he played for. Uh, and that's right. The administration of a uh, an NRL team or any sporting organization has got its challenges. There's so much that goes on. There's so much uh, that we're restricted as, as to what we can speak to publicly and things that we have to deal with internally. Uh, but at the end of the day, if it wasn't personally satisfying, we wouldn't be doing it. Oh, well, I had commemorative box sets for each of you as a mm. gift to say thanks for coming on, but I'm not going to present them. We, there is, are we going to discuss the elephant? Uh, which is which one of there's, those? There's, there's, there's the elephant, the court case, the court, oh. the nullity. Like that, <laughs> yeah. that was, again, as an outsider, intriguing drama. <laughs> Clearly you're ripped off, and Annesley has said you're ripped off, but the result stands. How? Like, is is there any? Obviously, you decided not to prosecute a case. Was was there grounds? Was there? Was, well, is there a court in which that case could be prosecuted? Uh, absolutely, you can just go off to the Supreme Court if you want to. Uh, it was interesting because that night, of course, Justin and I were there on the sidelines. We watched it firsthand. We just looked at each other. We just couldn't understand the result, the end of the game. Andrew Abdo was there, of course, because it was um, James Tamo's three hundredth game. I remember walking onto the field, and Andrew Abdo came over to me, like shaking his head. And first phone call I made was to Peter Vlanders. And I said to Peter, I said, Pete, you know, we're going to have to go to town on this. And he says, I understand uh, perfectly. We reviewed it internally. We reviewed it very carefully. And of course, the argument was that we could not challenge the decision of the referee made during the course of the game. We accept that the referees will make mistakes. But the argument was that once he had blown full time, the game was over. So anything that happened thereafter was a nullity. Yep. And that was our argument. So we went into town. We spoke to Peter. We spoke to Andrew. 
Uh, we went through the rules very, very carefully. Uh, there was the audio available. The transcript of the audio was produced. Uh, and it was clear that there is so much grey in terms of the administration of that particular circumstance. For example, what they wanted to suggest was it was the blowing of the whistle to end the game was the decision that was being challenged. That is, you can't end the game because there's there's been a an offence. And so that was the argument. And then we were very concerned about the grey. We took the advice of senior counsel, external counsel, who said, you're right though, because the Supreme Court, one of the questions the Supreme Court will ask is, why are you gentlemen here? What's the purpose of this these proceedings, given that you're coming last or second last? It makes no difference. So if proceedings themselves have no utility, the court would not be inclined to involve itself. Hence why we decided to that uh, discretion was the better part of that. I would have loved to have heard the words short whistle debated in the Supreme Court. That would have been short something whistle, else. Whistle. Uh, I think yeah. they abandoned that. By the time we got into town, the short whistle was abandoned because the rules do not provide for any short whistle. <laughs> yeah. that, that argument had been abandoned completely. Uh, look, look. In um, no, I, I have to say, I've done rugby league musical last week. I did it at, mm. okay, it was in the heart of, of Tiger's Land, in, across the road from the the sad, demolished, burnt-out site. does look like a scene out of Breaking Bad. It does look like a scene out of Breaking Bad. And I had vision of that, and it was referenced in a couple of songs. I had to stop the songs because the whole crowd was going nuts. It was causing a riot seeing that vision of that dive. And referee Klein was there one day. And Klein came one day, and he did... I realised, as knowing he was in the crowd, mm. that he was referenced in eight of the songs. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of you mentioned your talk to fans, Justin, and as someone who's involved in the club, and I mentioned that I'm part of the Foundation 13, I do find the whole club very, very accessible and open, and we really appreciate you guys taking the time today. There are ways that people can get involved. You've got a locker room initiative going on at the moment. Yeah, yeah, so there's plenty of initiatives. So um, we've got obviously the new locker room, which uh, people are afforded the opportunity to sponsor a locker, which means you can have your name put on a locker for for the um, season coming. Um, there's obviously a cost associated with that, but it's it's a fairly inner sanctum experience where yeah. every time a player goes down and prepares himself for training or comes back after training, the first person they'll be seeing is that is your name. And it goes without saying that if you're looking for additional revenue streams, and we're lucky enough uh, to have uh, one of them with us today, is the fedora the right term for your hat, Lee? Uh, it is. Could we, where, where is this going, Chris? Could because... we put into the merch the Lee Hatcher Patelis fedora, oh. get the lo Tigers logo on it? I believe it would leap well, off it, the shelves. It's an Akubra, so perhaps some sort yeah. of joint... Venture. I have one, I have, but it's a, yeah. it's a steel grey rather than the dark yeah, yeah. blue that you've got. No, I've got. got all the colours to match the right. suit, yeah, yeah. But um, my grandfather wore a hat and a few years ago I just felt like wearing it, so I bought one and I really enjoyed it and I just decided I'm going to become a hat man. And, well, uh, hats, I, hats were, like, everyone wore back hats in the day. up until the um, presidential inauguration yep. of JFK. Yep, indoors, in, outdoors, day and night. Yeah, and, yeah. and skin cancer rates consequently have gone skyrocketing. Mm. Bring them back. Yep. So if you're looking for innovation... To go with the innovation you're already bringing to West Tigers, I certainly agree. come to us. Uh, I agree. Um, look, uh, Lee and Justin, you've been more than generous with your time, and this is a terrific way for us to wrap up our 2022 season. Obviously, you go forward with my very best wishes. Dennis? <laughs> Absolutely go with my very best wishes. Very perhaps, best wishes. Perhaps not well, so much. Maybe my second best wishes. <laughs> there's, there's something about back in the history of rugby league about 1989 that no, seems no, to no, keep coming up, doesn't it? That wasn't the West Tigers, though. No, that wasn't, that wasn't the, the West That Tigers. wasn't the West Tigers. Look, in, in closing, uh, when I, I was at the Balmain Leagues Club for the merger vote, it was an unforgettable occasion. The emotion of Laurie Nichols and I always say, 
Laurie, who was very much opposed to it, but then gave it his blessing before the first game of the joint venture was paid and then very quixotically passed away before he, he saw that. I remember walking out of the 89 grand final and going, the way I saw rugby league, I couldn't see Belmont getting back there. I walked out of the 99 merger vote and I said, there is a future and that's a future for the club. And I don't mind saying I'm very proud of the club. And uh, I want to thank you guys for your contributions and for taking the time to share with us today and a bit of a speed change for Fire Up. And uh, I hope you enjoyed it and uh, all the best for the off-season and see you next year. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having us. Thank you. I'm Pat Richards. Fire Up.